At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Can you turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark? The Gospel of Mark, as we look to God's Word, as we always do, to be able to find out what is true and to receive guidance for the days that are ahead. As we open up to the Gospel of Mark, maybe you remember that we've been in a series we call Thy Kingdom Come. That comes from a prayer, and it's uh, the Lord's Prayer. It's been classically called, and it's a reminder to us of what Mark Mark is after. Mark is declaring that Jesus is uh, Lord and Savior, but he is also King, the long-awaited Savior King of Israel. Israel received all these messianic promises, and Christ is the fulfillment of that. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And what Mark continues to do over and again is confront us with the Lordship of Jesus in order to provoke us to answer a very important question, and that is, who is Jesus? Every message, every miracle, every parable that's recorded in Scripture in the Gospel of Mark is to confront us with that question, who is Jesus? And I pray that you would answer that correctly. I pray that today you will put your faith and trust in him and believe the testimony of Scripture concerning who Jesus is. But wrapped up in that question of who is Jesus is another really important question, and that is, what did Jesus come to do? Have you ever considered that before? Have you ever considered what is the purpose, what was the purpose of Jesus' earthly ministry? Well, many over the centuries, over the generations, have posited various answers. Some would argue that what Jesus came to do was to establish a new moral code, a new ethical system, that that's ultimately what he was after, to help us to be gooder people. Now, gooder is not proper English, but you get what I'm saying. To help us to just be a more moral people that ultimately his mission was to be a moral philosopher. Others would say, no, 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 he came to establish a new religious movement. That's what he was after. Judaism was old, he was banishing that, and he was just simply trying to start a new religious movement. Jesus was just a religious leader. Others still would push back on that and say, no, he was a social revolutionary. That Jesus was an activist and he came to fix what was broken in our society by addressing the broken systems and structures and institutions. To which I would uh, argue that the best person to ask about the mission of Jesus is Jesus. And so what does Jesus say about his mission? Well, he says these words in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse number 43. Listen to this. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. 
When Jesus is asked, what is your purpose? Why were you sent? What are you seeking to establish? His response is a kingdom. Nothing more, nothing less than a kingdom. Now, you may notice that Jesus, the king of the kingdom, has a different kingdom than the kingdoms of earth in so many ways. Number one, his kingdom is righteous compared to the kingdoms of earth that are so broken and corrupt and unrighteous. And it's a reminder to me that no matter how great the political leaders are this side of heaven, no matter how great the political parties or structures or policies may seem to be, I may be erroneously tempted to put my faith and trust in earthly politics for my ultimate salvation. That's why I love the words of the late, great Chuck Colson, who said that salvation does not fly in on the wings of Air Force One. I want to say that again. Salvation, contrary to popular belief, does not fly in on the wings of Air Force One. No, we need to attach our hearts to a greater politics. How many thank God for the politics of heaven, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, unimpeachable, unelectable King forever. Amen? But he also came to establish an eternal kingdom. Not a temporal kingdom like the kingdoms of earth. The Egyptian empire was great, significant, but it sunset it. The Roman empire for a thousand years was great and significant, but it sunset it. The U.S. is the most powerful and influential nation on earth at this time. But there will be a sunset because the kingdoms of earth don't last but how many know, as Isaiah says, upon his shoulders shall be a government and of its, uh, of its reign there shall be no end. How many praise God that Jesus is reign, that the kingdom of God knows no sunset and it knows no end. Now, why all this talk about the kingdom? It's because when you come to faith in Christ, you are joining not a social reform movement. You are joining not just a political movement from the vantage point of earthly politics, but you are joining a kingdom. You are a citizen of a different kingdom. Yes, you're here on earth and you're assigned here almost like an ambassador sent by your sending kingdom, but the kingdom that you have your allegiance to is the kingdom of God. But how does that kingdom expand? This is another big difference between Jesus's kingdom, the kingdom of God, and earthly kingdoms. When you want to expand an earthly kingdom, you do so by military might, through uh, the use of tanks and armies, helicopters and planes, weapons and artillery. But how does the kingdom of God expand? That's what we're going to talk about today. It expands through the sharing of the word. Jesus' reign advances through the sharing of the word. It is when the word is proclaimed and believed in the human heart that the kingdom of God expands. And Jesus, like every king, wants to see his kingdom expanding in us and through us. 
And so he gives these three parables that we'll look at today. Now, if you remember, he spoke in parables to the people we learned last week in order to uh, divide the room, if you will, to prove who was truly his disciples. And that would be proven by their hunger to know the meaning of these stories but it also would reveal who was not his disciples. Their rejection of these stories revealed the hardness of their heart and that they were not his. We're going to look at three parables about the kingdom. And you may say, how do you know that these stories are about the kingdom? Look at verse number 26. You see these words. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if. This is a story about the kingdom. Look at verse number 30. He says these words. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? He's talking about the kingdom. Now we're going to start in verse number 21. But remember what we learned about what a parable is. Parable is where we get the word parallel from. It means to come alongside. It literally is a story that comes alongside a spiritual truth. What was the spiritual truth he was driving home? It was that he was king and that the kingdom had come because he had come, because the king had come. And he wants them to understand the kingdom. And so he tells these stories. And on the surface, they seem deeply confusing. But that's simply to divide the room, to prove who was hungry enough to know the meaning of the parable versus those who, because of hardness of heart, just simply walked away. Now, he sets up these three stories with verse number 21 through 23. He says these words, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the point. The last statement is the point. It is the are you listening statement. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And so he says this riddle almost, this parable, this almost puzzle. He says this, does anyone light a lamp? And at that time they would have used these oil lamps and they would have lit it for light. Does anyone light a lamp in order for it to be hid under a basket or under a bed? Does, does light enter into a room to be hidden? The answer, obvious answer is no. You don't light a lamp for it to be hidden. Light doesn't come into a room to be hidden. So who is the lamp? What is he referring to? He is the lamp. The lamp is Jesus. He is the one who entered into the world, not to be hidden, but to be put on display so that all those who are in darkness would be drawn to him. How do we know that he is the light? Well, he tells us so. John chapter 8, verse number 12, he declares these words, I am the light of the world. John says it this way in John 1, verse 15, he says, and this is our testimony that light entered into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. Praise God that the darkness does not overcome the light. That is true not only for the 
world that is true for our lives. When Jesus, who is the light, enters into our lives, the darkness that is all around us cannot defeat the light. There is darkness in our world, and there is a kingdom of darkness that will war against your soul. But when you have the lamp of Jesus in your life, you need not fear the darkness or fear the devil because darkness does not overcome the light. I am the lamp. The psalmist put it this way, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus is the light of the world. And he comes into the world, not to be hidden, but to be put on display. By who? By us. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are not the light, but we reflect the light and we point men and women back to Jesus. Everything we do should do that. I was asking my son earlier this week, we were having Bible study together. I said, do you have a life verse? And I shared with him mine, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That is the way we should live our lives. That everything we do is to point people back to the only one that can eradicate the darkness in their own hearts. Then he goes on to use this metaphor about a secret that's been kept and that has now been made manifest. Jesus is that secret for eras and epochs and generations, the secret of the gospel, the kingdom coming through Christ and the salvation that would be by faith alone, righteousness, not by works through the law, but righteousness by faith in Christ. This secret was now made known through the preaching and declaration of Jesus as he declared the kingdom and subsequent to that by his apostles as they declared the kingdom. It's all about him. Scripture from beginning to end is all about Jesus. Can you hear that? He who has ears, let him hear. Can you hear with your heart that Jesus is the light of the world. Can you hear with your heart that he is the centerpiece of it all? You know, the gospel, friends, is not just for the unsaved or the unbeliever. No, the gospel is for my heart and your heart because we constantly need to be reminded of the gospel, that salvation is found in him alone, that grace is found in him alone, that my help and my strength does not come from my might. I cannot save myself. I cannot sanctify myself. I cannot even rescue myself. But praise God, Light has come into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. How many thank God that the secret is out and that Jesus has proclaimed himself to be Lord of all. Then he goes on to tell these three stories. And each one has a a principle about listening so that we can 
receive the word by faith, therefore the kingdom advances and so that we can spread the word that we have trusted in to others. The first story is to drive home the principle that deeper leads to greater. Deeper listening leads to greater experiencing of God's presence and truth. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't fall asleep, listen well. I'm going to stay awake if you stay awake. Verse 24, he says this, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, have you ever read a portion of the Bible and said, Jesus, what are you talking about? Have you ever experienced that? Well, you're going to experience that today because each of these stories on the surface is a little bit confusing. And you might be finding yourself saying, what in the world is this referring to? But look for the clues. He explains all of these parables to those who are hungry enough to search for the truth. It starts this story with the point of the story. Pay attention to what you hear. In other words, how are you hearing? Are you listening? And are you hearing what Jesus is saying? Because to the measure that you listen, it will be measured back to you again. In other words, how you listen, how well you listen, will determine how much you receive by way of return on the word of God. The ROI, the return on investment of the word of God is predicated on how we hear. Now, that is not to say that the power of the word of God fluctuates based off of how we hear. No, Jesus is powerful and the gospel is sufficient no matter we hear it or not. But its effect in our lives, its fruitfulness in our lives, its power and presence in our lives is determined by how we hear. If you hear well, what you have, more will be added to you. But if you are not listening to what the word of God has to say, then even what you have will fall away. How many know what it's like to be in a conversation but not really listening? Anybody ever experienced that? You're in a conversation with uh, maybe a friend or a family member, I hope not your spouse, and they are talking and you're not really listening and then that awkward moment comes where they pause and you know they're looking for a response and you have no idea what's going on. Anybody ever experienced that? If you can't say amen, just say ouch. I hope you're not listening to the word like that old Charlie Brown cartoon. You remember Charlie Brown, don't you? How did the adults sound to the kids in the Charlie Brown cartoon? You remember the sound? Womp, 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 womp. Sometimes that's how we go through life. That's how the kids sound. That's how our spouse sounds. And it's dangerous when that happens to any relationship. But none more dangerous in our relationship with God when his word is just white noise in the background, when we lose our hunger, how are you listening? Because with the measure you listen, how well and how deep you're listening will determine your return on investment. 
And so if you have, to he who has understanding because they've been listening well, if they continue to listen diligently, what they have, more will be added to it. That makes sense. It will continue to deepen in their hearts. But to the person who has little, who's not been listening well, even what he or she has will be taken away. So let me give you a tip on how to listen a little bit deeper. How many want this tip? How many want this advice? Praise God. Here's the tip. Take notes. Take notes while you are listening. Now about three quarters of the room just looked at me and said, I didn't want that advice. But I'm telling you, it will help you to be a better listener. And if you are not a good note taker, marry one and cheat off of their notes. Some of you were smart enough to do that. Some of you note takers are nudging the non-note takers in your house. But have you ever considered for just a moment that what we're reading, that we call scripture, is really the notes of the apostles? that they cared enough about what Jesus said, that as they listened to him preach, that they wrote it down and they compiled it for us. And that now, centuries later, we are reading their notes and we are coming to faith in Christ as the Spirit inspired them to pen the very word of God, the very notes of the preacher, Jesus. Take notes. Bury the word in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Deeper leads to greater. Well, the next story he tells displays that faithful leads to fruitful. And if the first story confuses you, wait till you hear this one. Verse 26 says this, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if. A man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the stickle, he puts in the stickle, because the harvest has come. Again, one of those head-scratching moments where you say, Jesus, what are you talking about? But I love this story. I love this story because he has already said earlier, we learned this last week, that in these agricultural stories, that the seed is the word of God. You and I are meant to be sowers of that seed. We're meant to scatter that seed liberally. We should be scattering the word of God and planting the word of God into the hearts of our children, into the hearts of our grandchildren, into the hearts of our friends, our neighbors, and the nations. We should scatter the word far and wide. But yet, what I love about this story is what it shows me, now hear me now, parents, grandparents, disciplers, that there's a season or time in between the sowing and the harvest. And during that time is when we get discouraged. Notice the story. 
The farmer sows the seed and then he goes to sleep night and day, day and night. And it doesn't look like anything is happening, but it is. There is growth that is happening underneath the surface. And then after a while, there's a little sprout that shoots up from the ground. And finally, some encouragement. And that grows into a full blade. And then the ear of, of, of grain is there. And then the harvest, full harvest comes. So what do you do, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, disciplers, when you don't feel like there is any evidence of any growth you remember what your job is and what your job is not our job is to sow and to water but his job is to bring the increase you may sow the word of God into your child's heart and you may not see a harvest for 15, 20 years. You may sow the word of God into the heart of, of somebody who seems to be rejecting it or, or pushing you away only to see a harvest later. But salvation belongs to God. We don't control that. Our job is to sow and sleep. That's all the farmer brought to the party. All he brought to the party was he sowed and he slept and God did the rest. And we are called to be faithful even when it feels like there is no harvest. Two stories towards that end. The first is about the great missionary Hudson Taylor. He comes to China after a great love for the Chinese people in the late 1800s, and he ministers there under this communist, socialist, totalitarian, and atheistic government. And he proclaims the gospel for years and years. He continues to sow seed into hard spiritual soil. And you know how many converts he had by the time he died? It was estimated that he had one. And some would even question and say that was even iffy. But today you fast forward and there are over 100 million believers in Jesus Christ in this nation of China. Praise God that this missionary did not stop sowing seeds of the gospel when he did not see any evidence of God at work. God is at work even when we don't see it. Earlier today, after our 815 service, and telling this story, preaching this message, I had a man stop me in the lobby and he says, a friend of mine prayed for her husband for over seven years that he would come to Christ. He vowed that he never would, and he finally did. That was 27 years ago. Today, he is a BSF, a Bible study fellowship instructor, and he is teaching others the word of God. Friends, don't stop praying for your spouse. Don't stop praying for your kids. Don't stop praying for your neighbors. Don't stop praying for the nations, for God is at work, and he will bring a harvest in due time if we faint not. Don't become weary in well-doing. You keep sowing the seeds and leave the harvest up to him. The final story drives home another point and it's a big point and that is that small leads to expansive. 
Listen to the words, verse number 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like grain. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word of, uh, to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. How many praise God for that? These stories are meant to divide the room. Who's hungry to know what it means? Who will simply reject it and walk away and say, this is nothing but babble. I'm disinterested in it. For the hungry one, for the disciple, for the one whose heart is in pursuit of the Lord, yielded to him, he will explain everything and make everything clear. And so he does. He says that the kingdom of God is like a small seed. It starts small, but boy, does it grow. And so it is when he comes into the world, Jesus comes in the smallest of packages. He is the smallest of seeds, but a baby in a manger. And if you see the kingdom at that point, it does not look impressive. It does not look like much, but it grows and expands. And those who believe continue to be added daily and now fast forward to where we are now. The kingdom of God has expanded to the point where its branches spreads over every continent, every nation, people in remote places in the world find their shade in its branches. And I am so grateful that by his mercy, he's allowed me to visit villages where people are serving in obscurity and in pain, but yet God has given them relief as the God gospel has come in to protect them from the scorching sun of sin. He has provided shade and it's a reminder to me that the darkness does not win against the light, that the kingdom doesn't stay small. It is victorious and it conquers all. It is spread over all of the earth. And the question for you and for me is simply this, don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? Friends, there's joy in the kingdom. There's peace in the kingdom. There's life in the kingdom. There's salvation in the kingdom. The kingdom has spread. His arms and his branches are open wide. And today he invites you and me to find our shade in him, in Christ alone. Everybody stand all over the church. Everybody stand with me. So the question today you and I must answer is don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? You know, we need to get into the habit of learning to practice to share our faith. So I'm going to do it again. You might not like me for it. Why don't you look at your neighbor one more time and just ask him, don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? Don't you want to put your faith and your trust in Jesus? There's no better decision that a man or woman can make. We're about to close in worship. 
but not before I invite you to respond to the preaching of the gospel. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. We're going to get ready to pray in just a moment. But if today, sir, if today, ma'am, you know your soul is without a Savior, you know that you need Jesus to forgive you, to show you grace and mercy, to offer you the salvation that is found in him alone, I ask today that you would put your trust in him. And if today you know you need to come back home again, maybe you've trusted in him and wandered away, today I would ask that you would come back home to Jesus. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if today you want to put your faith and trust in him, I want to pray for you. Can you simply raise your hand right where you are so that I can pray for you? Raise it high. And I see your hand, ma'am. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, sir. Keep your hand raised. I want to pray for you. But after I pray for you, we're going to worship. And at the end of that, I would love for you to come to the front to meet with one of our leaders so that we can help you to take your next step in your journey with Jesus. Or maybe even connect with me in the lobby or one of our leaders there. But keep your hand high, and I'm going to pray right now. Father, I pray that for each hand that is raised, that you would honor that as they cry out, Jesus, be Lord of my life, that you would save them, that you would um, redeem them, that you would transform their lives by your power and by your spirit, that you would use them as a sower of your word, that you would allow them to dig deep roots in spiritual family and that they would bear much fruit for you. I pray that you would use them in a mighty way. Save even now. Touch them by your grace. We ask it in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. And all God's people said a big amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.